hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. All right, welcome back to the next episode of the BC Law Just Law Podcast. I'm Tom Blakely. I'm here with Jim Fiore, and we're joined by Professor Ross Martin to uh, discuss the topic of cryptocurrency today. Uh, Professor Martin teaches several commercial law subjects, including corporate bankruptcy, the law of money, contract drafting, and secure transactions. He's a retired partner of Ropes and Gray, where he spent over 20 years representing clients in all aspects of bankruptcy, corporate restructuring, and commercial lending. Ross now teaches full-time uh, as a trial and appellate lawyer. Professor Martin has conducted bankruptcy court cases around the U.S. and has be- appeared before the First Circuit, the Massachusetts SJC, and twice in the United States Supreme Court. Uh, Professor, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Thanks. It's great. Awesome. Glad to be here. Uh, Awesome. Thanks for you to, thanks for joining us today. Just wanted to get a quick background and ask about just kind of your career path. What got you interested in like the payment industry, the legal aspect of it, and uh, you know, this this blockchain, this blockchain field? Um, Sure. So uh, to go kind of back to the beginning, when I was in law school, I had no idea what kind of lawyer I wanted to be. And that was true when I started uh, my 2L summer. Uh, and eventually, I narrowed my focus in on bankruptcy law. And one of the reasons for that is bankruptcy lawyers cover essentially the full range of legal issues. Mm-hmm. They're still generalists in many ways. Um, and eventually, uh, my interest in the money system really peaked in the 2007-2008 crash when the banking system almost came down. And um, looking at that, and we had lots of clients who were really concerned about what their money was, what they had, um, and got me very deeply into that question. And and more specifically, I saw that you when you went back to an MBA and, and focused studied a little bit about blockchain. What what prompted that decision? So after I stopped practicing, I got incredibly fortunate and was able to go back to MIT mm-hmm. for a full year and get an MIT uh, MIT MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I was interested because of my legal background was uh, getting into teaching and with that understanding what back then was an even newer area in the business and law, which was blockchain and cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. which they do a lot with there. Mm-hmm. And the business school there was, I think they had just that year stood up about four classes. So it was really just becoming a thing. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so before we get into our discussion of cryptocurrency, I suppose for the uninitiated, perhaps, could you just give like a, explain a high level, um, you know, cryptocurrency and blockchain, um, what that is, what that means, and I guess what people should know? Um, sure. And I think this is one of the hardest things. Um, that people think they have to grapple with, but in my view, it's actually quite simple. Um, there's two pieces to, blockchain is the overall technology that underlies things like Bitcoin, so-called Ethereum, all these other um, things that you hear about and there are plenty of ads about now. But the core technology is blockchain and that essentially has two components to it. It has advanced cryptography, so advanced codes. That exists anyway. That's not specific to blockchain. Um, Frankly, versions of it, not much less complicated, exist for your online banking and your phone service and all that. What was really novel about Bitcoin is coming up with a way that the, and I'll use the technical term for it and then explain what it is, that the ledger of what everybody owns is kept by more than one person. Your bank keeps all the records of you and every other customer that banks how much they have. One centralized place. The Federal Reserve is a centralized place where that's all banks keep track of their money. But the idea behind Bitcoin 
was that you don't have to trust a central bank or a central any central authority and that everybody will have a full copy of what everybody owns and then they have to trust each other so they can trust each other but then you have to have a way for all those people to agree and that's the so-called magic behind blockchain everybody keeps the record of what everybody owns and there's a mechanism to get all those people to agree and that's all it is and so now getting in, into more your general thoughts on this what would you cuz it is like a, a divisive subject where a lot of people are very pro cryptocurrency pro bitcoin a lot of people are anti um what are some of like the downsides of of cryptocurrency and the blockchain and what are some of the upsides um sure so just in full disclosure, when mm -hmm. I started learning about this, I would have considered myself to kind of be in the middle between those things. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I'm very much a skeptic now. Mm -hmm. So we'll just get that on the table. But mm -hmm. I'm also not of the view that it's going away like a lot of skeptics. So maybe we can talk about that. But the advantage, um, so the blockchain advocates say, is that you don't need a centralized authority because so it's like having – a million people keep your checkbook, essentially. Um, and so it's not – you're not relying on the bank to keep everybody, those million people's checkbook. Um, and that means, in theory, you don't have to trust the government or some other central authority. And that's really where it all grew out of. And that's the principal advantage. The idea behind it is – what happens – what can you do in a system where – in a system where people don't trust each other and where you can find places where people don't trust each other, blockchain could be worth doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. The cons are that um, so far um, Bitcoin, a lot of people I think have heard, it consumes a lot of power, mm -hmm. like more than the uh, government of – more than the entire country of Norway. Mm -hmm. Um, which is very environmentally unfriendly. Mm -hmm. The other thing I think people know less about because they think of Bitcoin as money, it takes – if you want to do a transaction on Bitcoin, it takes almost an hour to do that. It's not like going to your ATM. It takes almost an hour to know the money went through. Mm -hmm. That's really different than what we're used to doing with all our other electronic kind of money. Yeah, and and do you see – you know, this might be like a heavy question, but like is it – do you see a possibility in you know, five years in the future, 10 years in the future, where there is, the upsides do outweigh the downsides and there is a net benefit to have this technology in, in society? I tend not to think so. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there are very, very few places where the, the lack of trust is really so much mm -hmm. that the benefits of that uh, and all the difficulties – are outweighed. And let me give an example. So Bitcoin works on this system, the details of which you don't have to know, called proof of work. And that amount of computing power is what consumes all the electricity with a huge downside. The principal way around that is to convert to what's called proof of stake in the lingo. All proof of stake means is when everybody's trying to agree on who owns how much, everybody votes by the amount they have. So the principal, the, the number two cryptocurrency called Ethereum just switched this past month. And the problem now that people are worried about is 
something like 40% of Ethereum is now in a very small group of hands. So it's centralized. It's not decentralized anymore. Yeah. So, so there's this trade-off, and I'm not of the view that that's ever going to be overcome. Yeah. So Ethereum switched to proof of stake. and They now, did. Yeah. And in fact, the, the guy who founded Ethereum um, was in favor of capping the amount of vote everybody had, mm -hmm. which is quite interesting yeah. to me. Uh, so before I get to my next question, I want to ask about uh, something you said. You know, you used to, I guess, sort of ideologically, or at least in your uh, perspective on cryptocurrency, you used to be somewhat in the middle, but you become more of a skeptic. How did you get from the middle to uh, being a little bit more skeptical about, about Bitcoin and blockchain and the whole mess? Um, I think I had more time, two, two things. One, I had more time to consider what really are the areas where we really don't trust each other and it would be helpful. And... I can, as I sort of test that and and see it, I'm by no means an expert on everything that's going on. I just don't see that many. Um, the second thing was the crypto crash of this past summer, um, which was, um, I didn't, frankly, before that, I didn't really know about this part of the cryptocurrency universe, but that crash was exactly what happened in 2007, 2008 in the banking industry. Mm -hmm. And it got How me to so? realize. So, um, it's essentially what's called shadow banking. So I think most people get that a bank, you have deposits. You can take those deposits out anytime. But what the bank owns are, say, a whole bunch of home mortgages, which they can't cash out anytime. Mm -hmm. So if everybody shows up to take their money out, it's a bank run right. and the bank fails. I think most people get that. That's what happened in 2007, 2008, or almost happened. And it did happen with a bunch of unregulated entities not like regular banks, mm -hmm. that had subprime mortgages in them. And it's exactly what happened. And what happened this summer was a bunch of crypto companies whose business was to have you give them your crypto and they would loan it out for longer periods of time. They had a bank run. And it's exactly the same problem because they were unregulated. Right. And so... Um, when I saw that and saw where this was going, I said, all right, we've seen this, we've seen this before. Yep. And, and so you attribute the lack of regulation to some of what happened over the summer. I think that's right. In other words, these, in, these organizations were not prepared or structured or regulated in any way to be prepared for something like that happening. Right. They, yeah. they were unregulated banks. We saw what happened about that, you know, before the great depression, we saw it again in 2008, 2009. And once you impose that regulation, it's centralized again. You've lost what the blockchain advocates would say mm -hmm. is the decentralized trust. Mm -hmm. right. So you're trusting in the government regulators now. Got it. Um, so in November of last year, the value of crypto reached an all-time high with one Bitcoin trading for over $64,000. You know, of course, like we just discussed, it's plummeted considerably since we had what happened over the summer. Um, but I'm just curious, what drives such high value? I mean, you, when you get up to 64 grand for one Bitcoin, that's that's pretty considerable, but at the same time, what causes such volatility as we've seen? Um, so I also have, uh, think there are a couple of factors in that. Um, one is it's very unproven. And as you know, there was a lot of mania about it um, by a lot of retail people. In fact, I talked to a guy who redid my roof, <laughs> okay, two years ago, and he was in Bitcoin hmm. to fund his retirement. That's a reason it goes to 60,000. Okay. okay? Um, but also, I think as there are more and more, um, there are certainly lots of these enterprises 
that are people investing money to get a return. That's a security. Um, it's not buying gold. It's not buying pork bellies. It's not buying any of those things. Um, it's not even buying currency futures. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are, and I'll, I'll give you a very simple example um, without getting into specifics because I don't have a specific view on the, on the Ripple thing. There are lots of venture capital firms that invest money to start crypto firms. That's a security, <laughs> okay? And people are trying to structure that where it's not. So, um, so sort of going off of that, what would you say about the business community's attitude or I guess embrace or perhaps lack of embrace towards you know cryptocurrency? I mean, it seems like for a lot of people, it's something that's still outside the, the mainstream. But if you watch, I don't know, for instance, like an NFL game, you know, every commercial break is littered with, uh, I don't know how many, yeah. Coinbase and all these different, um, you know, places that are involved in, uh, in, in cryptocurrency and NFTs really, uh, you know, it seems like pushing pushing this. But other people are, are more skeptical. Warren Buffett's called it rat poison, has said that he wouldn't take all the cryptocurrency in the world for $25. So I'm just curious, like, where crypto stands in the financial industry and fintech and the law like is it is it mainstream it seems like it's sort of uh some people are embracing it investing in it and others are steering clear um i think you've described the situation completely accurately and let me uh give an example about nfts and my view of that really quickly and sure. what they are and because people i think get that it's on sports programs they right. understand that it's sports memorabilia so let me start with that all the all any blockchain does is keep track of who owns what. It actually does it slightly differently. It starts with everybody who owned it at the beginning and it traces every transaction, okay? So it doesn't work quite the same as your bank ledger, but you can figure out what everybody owns, um, even not knowing who they are. So all an NFT blockchain does is it keeps track of who owns the electronic copy of the Tom Brady jersey right. that's an NFT. I'm of the view of, okay, so what? You can broadcast it on your television? That's a lot different than having the signed Tom Brady jersey on your wall. They're just fundamentally different things. Now, what I would say about the mainstream piece of it is there's enough money in it all now that I think it's not going to go away. I think that financial – two reasons. One, I think financial firms can use it um, really just as a bet and hedges, not really as an underlying thing, but just it's become – it's big enough that people could have some strategy where they buy a mutual fund and they short Bitcoin, whatever they decide. But the second thing, not to go on too long, is that I think it's so broadly understood now and so um, sort of so um, novel in the business community and so exciting that I think a lot of people in mainstream businesses want to use it for their own purposes, essentially marketing, having nothing to do with the technology. They want to say, I'm doing a blockchain thing. And that becomes a project in their companies. Sure. Um, another issue, you know, is just the issue of security. You know, you have on the one hand, the idea of, you know, confidence in the markets and stability and regulation, but you also have, you know, an issue where crypto is used to facilitate ransom payments or facilitate money laundering or uh, drug networks, terrorism. You know, th th that's certainly a concern that's there. But at the same time, if you want to have a decentralized alternative currency, those are the kinds of um, risks that you run. I guess as opposed to the highly regulated and particularly in the last 20 years, a lot of regulation has been put into place, um, you know, with the sort of you know, traditional currency and traditional, um, you know, wire transfers for the plumbing of the financial system. Crypto doesn't really have any of that. Um, I, I guess understanding the technology and understanding the law, or I guess perhaps of 
lack of law and regulation that deals with that. Is there a way to maybe rein in some of these you know, a little more frightening premises that, that we've seen with respect to crypto? So I think there are my, – my own view is there are two things about this. One, I don't think it's as secret as people think it is. Yeah. Um, the example that I give in my class of that is in the um, uh, Russia interference in the 2016 election. In one of those indictments, it talks about that the FBI figured out where the illicit transactions were in Bitcoin. Um, a place like Coinbase isn't secret at all. Right. They have a centralized record of what you have. Um, but the third reason, and there's been a lot of action on this just over the last few months, is that a private blockchain is not all that efficient. I talked about how Bitcoin, you know, it takes a, a an hour to get your transaction through. For the vast majority of people, that doesn't work. You need it to go fast. Governments, as you point out, want to regulate it. Right. For So governments, including the U.S. government, are now creating their own digital currencies, which have all the advantages of – I shouldn't say that. They're going to call them digital currencies, so it seems – sort of cool and blockchain-y, mm -hmm. but it's just a centralized currency thing, electronic. So it'll be super convenient for all of us. It'll be called blockchain, Ugh. and there'll be some new technology behind it, but it really isn't blockchain. Can you walk you us through it. how the gut, like say take the U.S. Treasury, for instance, how a, a digital currency might work as opposed to the traditional currency that we've been using? How, how would the government roll that out? So... There's a big debate about how the government would do this, but let me just say, you have digital currency right now. Most people don't carry cash. They use their ATM cards. They use their online banking. They use their credit cards, and everything is digital. Um, the only difference of a what they call a digital fiat currency is that it would be issued by the central bank. And the big question about that is, would each of us have an account at the central bank? When we carry cash, that's what we have. We, and when we have our electronic funds, we have a bank. So the real question is, is the Federal Reserve going to actually give us all accounts or are they going to let the banks have accounts and then we'll all still have bank accounts? Mm -hmm. um, it's not really that novel, um, but it would, it'll take care of people thinking, oh, I have this new blockchain-y thing. But it's really still centralized, which would allow the government to track all the money laundering and everything else. Got it. Um, so sort of parallel to that with respect to – I guess you could describe it as the plumbing of the financial system as it exists as it exists now. How does cryptocurrency interface or perhaps it doesn't with existing controls and systems and you know measures that are put into place to protect – the markets and protect public confidence uh, or the public's confidence in the markets. And if the government did decide that you want to try to regulate this or, you know, perhaps try to prevent things like happened over the summer, how would you do that with, with something like cryptocurrency that doesn't necessarily interface very well with uh, the existing controls that are in place? So um, this is a great question um, uh, about which I have a very specific view. So the original take of the Bitcoin folks and a lot of crypto people now say, we're creating a whole new currency. You can get at it anywhere in the world. It's not dependent on a central government. And so we can now be the new plumbing, transferring value across borders. Um, for reasons we've talked about, that may not be very efficient. One of the reasons I, I, reasons I find this interesting is that JP Morgan Bank, largest bank, right, arguably in the world, is doing a huge blockchain, what they call a blockchain project, to deal with the plumbing. B 
because they're the international part of the uh, financial system and payment system is really old because you have to get all the banks to make upgrades. Mm. My own take is it looks like J.P. Morgan is spearheading an effort saying we're going to do a new plumbing system based on blockchain, but it's really just upgrading all the, you know, both sort of hard technology but and the software to make it all go. There's nothing really blockchain-y about it, mm-hmm. so to speak. But it's really important that it's called blockchain because every single bank in the world will say, we've got to be part of this blockchain. Yeah. So it's going to make a huge difference in international transfers, but not because there's some magic to Bitcoin, because it makes it a project everybody wants to do. And that's really good. You know, Even if you can say that's pure marketing, it's really good because it's up, going to upgrade the payment system. Yeah. And so I also wanted to talk a little bit about something else on how uh, blockchain technology fits into these decentralized autonomous organizations, uh, uh, more commonly referred to as DAOs. Um, he's been in the news a lot. Is this like kind of the future of how business is going to be done? And can you explain kind of like what these are and, and how they work? So, sure. Um, the One of the things that has come along is – uh, in the blockchain uh, crypto world is the idea of what they call a decentralized autonomous exchange. And it's very simple what they're doing. They say that everybody owns a stake in larger or smaller on this blockchain, right? And they keep track of how much they own. And all the rules are written down in computer code, right? And if they want to change the rules, all those people vote. Right. Um, And so it's supposedly decentralized because everybody's keeping a record. Mm -hmm. It's autonomous in theory because they say we don't need courts and a government because we've coded everything into the software. Um, And it's an organization. I've talked to a lot of people and it's starting to become reasonably common um, wisdom among lawyers that that is nothing more than what we call a member managed limited liability company, which have been around since – you know, they were sort of invented in the 90s. You can do exactly that in Delaware mm-hmm. and the lawyers can write down all the rules. And if you can write them down clearly, <laughs> everybody has an equity stake or shares. It's really no different than an LLC or a corporation. Yeah. The blockchain people think it is, but it's really not. Yeah, just a little fancier with some buzzwords, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and that's important in a lot of ways because buzzwords can drive investment. And mm-hmm. I don't want to... Uh, it seems like so that. much of this is marketing. You know, so much of it is uh, the idea. I mean, it seems like so much of this is – you spoke about, you know, everybody wanting to uh, describe their business model as using the term blockchain, mm-hmm. um, which seems very tenuous. I, I happen to think that's right. But, you know, lots of things in this world are marketing, and right. it drives real investment that yeah. really improves things, mm-hmm. right? The, um, you know, the original – I was involved in a bankruptcy early on after the, you know, what they called Web 1.0, right, the original internet. And all the companies went bankrupt. And when, you know, Google and Facebook and all these companies came around in what they call Web 2.0, it drove massive amounts of investment in optical fiber, in all the things to have the communications that we have now, right? And the technology had already been invented. Right. But it created this massive amount of investment, for better or worse, in these large companies. And also, like you say, in the backbone. Right. So that was important. 
Yeah. And then I just want to also circle back to these uh, crypto lenders we talked about earlier that, you know, a lot of them went bankrupt this summer where they, you know, take your cryptocurrency, they lend it out for longer terms, pay you an interest rate. Um, namely, you know, two of them being Celsius and Voyager. And just yesterday, the CEO of Celsius actually stepped down. Um, do you think this is more of a short-term hiccup? Is there a way for these crypto lenders to be viable businesses? Or do you see that just not being possible? So um, two things. Uh, one, to answer your question directly, and the one um, maybe take on that that hopefully is related to it. Um, I don't think they're viable businesses because they're banks and they're unregulated. And We've learned over thousands of years of history that that doesn't work. Um, that's why we have the bank regulation we have. That's why people like having money in banks. Why? Because you know that the gut, that there's FDIC insurance centralized that covers your bank account, and they don't have that. Um, the other thing that I find interesting about it and shows why they sort of don't work is these things are all supposed to be non-governmental, self-regulating. Everything is in the computer code. And when they failed, the solution was to file for U.S. federal bankruptcy protection. They went to centralized U.S. courts for the centralized U.S. legal system that in bankruptcy has been worked out over 100 years. Mm -hmm. And that was the solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so. A little hypocritical. Maybe. It's, I don't, <laughs> maybe. Interesting that the same thing happened in the 2007-2008 crash. There yeah. were a bunch of different kinds of companies that everybody had agreed should not file for bankruptcy. That's what the corporate lawyers wrote. Mm -hmm. And when they failed, everybody wanted them in bankruptcy because right. it was a more efficient system. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's very similar. Um, like I said, it's been eye-opening for me just to see that over the summer. Yeah, true. Um, the last question I wanted to ask, uh, just with respect to the long term, the next steps, you know, the, the, the future of crypto. You spoke about um, the massive amounts of energy that the, the, the model consumes. I know during the chip shortage, this was sort of one of the inputs to the problem is the, mm -hmm. the demand for uh, processors and graphics cards and advanced chips to try to power, um, you know, Bitcoin mining. And, you know, as the energy use, I think, you know, you used a, a good example there of uh, an entire country being uh, commensurate with how much, you know, crypto mining, you know, utilizes as, you know, this goes on and it consumes more and more energy just how viable is this and for how long? Like it doesn't, it, it seems like there's, there's breaking points on the horizon for, for what's been going on. If it were to, some of these trends were to continue. Uh, I don't think, and I think we're already seeing okay. that the, the pure Bitcoin mining model is not viable. Yeah. And that of course is the model that started it all. It works from a trustless perspective. Um, but it has this downside. Interestingly enough, one of the things that's becoming a real uh, one of the things that's pushing back against that most and driving a lot of cryptocurrency away from that are large financial institutions, the largest of which in the world are under pressure to do socially conscious investing. Bitcoin is not green. Right. Okay. And so the Black Rocks and Fidelities and all these other household names of mutual fund companies are saying, we can't do blockchain investments, like we're just not going to do it because there's too much adverse sort of press about it. It's so in other words, green. the ESG, it's exactly. uh, in conflict. Okay. Exactly. It runs into that. And so um, I find that kind of interesting too, that there's, you know, this sort of, um, you know, blockchain is all sort of new, but then there's this ESG investing that's also new and they right. run into each other. Competing goals. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. 
All right. Um, well, it's Jim. Do you have yeah, I just wanted to, word? I mean, you're teaching a class this semester at BC Law called Law of Money. Do you want to just give a quick quick overview? Do you get? Do you touch upon these topics or is it more, more general? Um, we do touch on these topics. Um, the short version of the class is we start day one learning about the law of how cash works. Mm-hmm. And we move all the way through checks, and credit cards, uh, a thing corporate lawyers use, wire transfers, mm-hmm. your online banking. And we do cover in one or two classes um, the cryptocurrency kind of um, uh, issues yeah. uh, because people talk about it. And it's a way to d- talk about the sort of overall legal principles that we that we deal with. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So if you're a 1L or 2L listening. Uh, Something to keep an eye on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been BC Law's Just Law podcast. I'm Tom Blake with Jim Fiore. I've been joined by Professor Ross Martin. Discuss cryptocurrency, the industry, and all the legal problems that uh, lie therein and perhaps on the horizon. Uh, Professor Martin, thank you for joining us today. That was great. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until next time, that'll do it. Uh, thanks for listening.